0: Welcome to the Speaking Podcast. You can find other episodes on speakingpodcast.com. Also on Bitshoot and YouTube, you'll find the links in the podcast description. I've got four other podcasts, The Meditation, The Awakening, Learn Polish, and The Crypto, as well as being a podcasting coach. And you'll find everything on bio.link forward slash podcaster. Today, looking forward to this episode, we've got the CEO and co-founder of Alive. He's a TED speaker. He's also an author and done a few other things as well. Please welcome Lux Narayan. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Roy. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. No problem. Well, I, I know to say you, you've listened to a few of the shows. I've I, I mentioned a few of the things you're doing, but you might introduce yourself to the, the listeners. Cool. I'll I'll
1: maybe go in the sequence you mentioned. Um, so my, you know. Um, what what I do for my day job and, and really my life at this point is my, my newest baby, which is uh, streamalive.com. And um, Streamalive was, was born from a, a previous journey. And we'll talk more about Streamalive, I'm sure, about how we help make live streams alive. And uh, that's one of the reasons I was particularly excited about coming on to your show, because it's about speaking and it's about speakers. And Streamalive is very, very complementary to that. Uh, I, I like dabbling in a, in, in, in a lot of things at any given point in time. You could call it an extended midlife crisis. So um, my current passion, which I've been following for the last few years, has been stand-up comedy. scariest thing I've done, speaking to a bunch of strangers and trying to make them laugh. Uh, but as you probably guessed, I enjoy speaking. So uh, speaking at the TED main stage here in New York City on obituaries was, was something I enjoyed preparing for and something I enjoyed delivering as well. Uh, writing is a big passion, so um, I know you can't see it on the podcast, but this was a passion project during the pandemic, uh, more than a passion project, actually. It's a book called Name, Place, Animal Thing, and it's it's funny how things happen, because Stream Alive was actually born from that uh, book writing journey, and if that's of interest, happy to dive into that story as well, but but that's me in a nutshell.
0: Right. To be honest with you, everything you've mentioned there, I want to touch into, so I have done an open mic and I've also done that like um, with the Toastmasters, I've done a lot of competitions and I enjoy the the comedy. I've watched uh, one of your uh, comedies uh, and it was actually very good. There's a lot of kind of playing with words and callbacks and everything that you were doing. So how long have you been doing the the comedy and why did you actually start it? So I've been doing, um, I mean, a fan of comedy for, I, I can't remember how long. I mean,
1: and I think a lot of us are big fans of comedy, right? Um, since I'm I'm close to New York City, I had the benefit of signing up for a class about uh, six years ago in improv comedy. Which is fantastic because it's totally unscripted. It's totally based on audience inputs. It's totally thinking in the moment. It's totally yes-anding your your uh, colleagues and your friends and working with them instead of the classic no but, right? So you're saying yes and and adding on to that. So it was a beautiful philosophy to to work with and take back to the workplace. So at that point, I was running a company called Unmetric that I previously co- co-founded. It got acquired about three years ago. So that was great culture to take back to the company. And then I enjoyed improv so much that I um, actually picked up the, the courage to... Um, I think it was over a couple of beers and losing a bet with a friend at some point that I said, maybe I'll try stand-up comedy as well. And and the, the funny thing there was I realized how much of structure there is to comedy. So stand-up comedy was um, as much as, you know, you write your script and the end of it, you calculate the number of jokes. And if you don't have a joke every 20 seconds, your script sucks. So you had to have at least one three jokes a minute. So a five minutes set You need at least 15 jokes. Anything less than that, it's not a a comedy set. And then callbacks and the science of it and how you structure a joke and how you kind of get economical with words. Uh, How do you quickly get an audience to come on to a premise? It it was probably the toughest speaking thing I'd ever done. And I just fell in love with it. I think the biggest side benefit was it made me a lot more observational. Because after I signed up for stand-up comedy and did a did a set, I, I was suddenly hunting for material everywhere. You know, earlier I'd go on to a, go to an airport and you might go to the lounge and sit there, or you'll just you know be buried in your in your laptop or your phone. And and now I don't do any of those things. I'll be sitting in a chair, or or sitting at a bar or sitting at a coffee shop and just looking around me at all the stories that are happening with so many travelers walking around and this ample comedy material out there. And I just find I'm I'm looking more often for things, and and I think that that's a good frame of mind to be in. So I could go on and on about comedy, uh, but this I, is not the comedy cu- podcast. So <laughs> no, no, I'm no, and back. I'm
0: just curious because what 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 I've noticed is when I went through say um, a competition, it was you kind of allow the laughter element because sometimes it's the same when you're doing a stand up, you might get five minutes, and sometimes they're fairly harsh because they've got say ten or whatever amount of things, but you have to allow for the laughing before you start going again. And I found the more the crowd, the more you have to allow for the actual laughter. Have you experienced the same? Oh, t- totally. And, and it
1: works both ways, right? You practice your script and you expect laughter at certain points. Uh, you expect more laughter at a certain point and you expect less laughter for a slight chuckle when you do a callback and things. And sometimes it goes for the script where the audience laughs as you expected them. But at times it doesn't. So you you have this joke that you think totally crushed it, and you get some polite laughter. And then at that point, it's important not to pause too long but move on quickly, right? And then you got this other one that you thought was a very ordinary pedestrian joke, but people are rolling with laughter. At which point I think the stupidest thing you would you, you could do is actually continue talking. And that is one of the things we learned. When people are laughing, just shut up. Just so. shut up, listen, enjoy the laughter with them. If something comes up spontaneously, do it with them. But that was that, that beautiful because you're not just relaying a script. You're actually part of the crowd, right? You're, you're laughing with them. And and um, just adapting those things, it, it doesn't come naturally because you're, you're like in school mode, right? When you do your first set, you've got this thing that you've got to deliver and you want to get it over with. But then you start enjoying it. And when you start enjoying it, you learn to laugh at the audience. You learn to pause. You need to learn to riff a little bit. And that's when it starts starts getting even more interesting. But but yes, absolutely. that Those pauses. And, and I think you know about it because, uh, I mean, one is you're on a speaking podcast. And you said you also done some open mics. Uh, unless you've actually been on stage and done that, the, the importance of those pauses is not something that, that comes naturally.
0: <laughs> yeah. And what you've mentioned, that's happened to me a lot of times. I, I'd assume. Okay, this is gonna they're gonna crack up laughing with this, and yeah, this is they might get a few giggles, and it's the opposite, and you're gonna yeah. But I think when you're playing from flow and you're not too scripted and you're just you know exactly what way you're gonna go, you just go with it and it doesn't kind of it doesn't affect you. Whereas some people, they're so scripted that they can't do that.
1: Absolutely. And I think you those three words you said is captures it, playing with flow, right? So you're playing from flow, with flow, That that that's when you're kind of in the same stream as the audience. And I think that's that's super important. No,
0: exactly. So now I'd like to delve on the, the TED speech that you've done because uh, I know you've done a, a lot of research on it and we call it looking up the debt column. And but it's got something like over 2 i i know it's in a few different places so it's hard for me but i i i'm sure it's over nearly 2 million or 2 million plus uh, views on it which is you know very impressive thank you and and um i mean that that is very close to my heart
1: because um, the the obituaries and and over here um in the states where i am the new york times is is my newspaper of choice and over there uh, they have a fantastic obituary column um, in, in, in terms of, uh, actually, let's take a step back, right? But when I was growing up, I heard this fantastic expression that stuck with me, which is, if you want to learn about man's failures, read the newspaper from the first page onwards. And think about it, right? In the first page, you're going to read about war, you're going to read about the virus, you're going to read about politics, you're going to read about accidents and crime and terrorism. And all of those things are the first things you read about in the newspaper on the first page. It's It's usually pretty depressing. The obituaries, which traditionally in most newspapers are on the back of the newspaper. This was before newspapers started coming out with about twenty different sections. um the the obituaries would be right at the end and and very, very, um, you know fittingly, I would say, right at the end. But when you read the obituaries, they are a celebration of of lives well led. They are a celebration of of amazing things that people did. I mean, some of them might be notorious things as well but all of those together paint a beautiful kaleidoscope of what what life is about right and each of us is so much in our own bubble that uh, i just find the obituaries are a great way to look at what else is out there what else are people remembered for what are the what are the amazing things people did in their lives and are remembered for afterwards is the highest form of accolade if you ask me because here you are mentioned in a newspaper like the new york times or the wall street journal or the economist in the obituary section but you can't post it on Facebook because you're not there anymore, right? So, so it's pretty ironical in some ways. So I've, I've been fascinated by the obituaries. I, I have a stack uh, out here uh, on, the, on the side, which is about a, a, a dozen from the last week. It's still constant reading for me. So at that time, uh, I used to do a lot of speaking. And I spoke at a... This was because I used to run a company called Unmetric in the social media intelligence space. Uh, We would help benchmark, uh, help brands benchmark what they were doing on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, LinkedIn, Instagram. And we did that for 150,000 brands across the world. And I was talking about big data and stuff at a Twitter conference. And I said, you know, who wants to listen so much about data? So let's make it fun. Let's make it interesting. And that's why the comedy hat comes in. So I gave a talk about data that had a joke every 30 seconds or so. So there's someone in the audience who, who enjoyed it and said, uh, you know, if you can do a similar thing, which is um, be, be, I run TEDx in Bombay and I'd love to have you there. And um, he said, if, if you have something interesting to talk about. So at some point, I, I'll spare you the details of how we stumbled upon that, but I took a few uh, tries. Um, I, I thought this would be a great story because my life at that point was looking at historical data from a data perspective. I said, why not do it from a life and death perspective by doing it on the obituaries? What lessons can we learn from them, right? So we analyzed 2,000 obituaries, looked at lessons from that, and, and that's really what we synthesized into that TEDx speech. And the interesting thing was the curator for TED Worldwide was in the audience at that point, and she loved the talk. And then I was invited to speak on the TED stage over here, and uh, I think that's the one you saw which which got about 2 million views. Uh, but but fantastic experience just from the learning to speak from the number of rehearsals you need to do from how prepared you get Uh, I hit a point where you could wake me up at three o'clock in the morning and ask me to recite the speech and I could do it entirely from memory but I I think TED is a great um, you know training ground for a certain structure of speech and a certain delivery way of speech and and that was one of the ancillary benefits besides working on what I personally think is is pretty amazing content I mean learning from obituaries.
0: No, oh, absolutely, absolutely, and, and w- so it, it's because I I've seen t- kind of one where it was like five odd minutes, and another or so over ten. So was it that one is from the Bombay, and the other is the TED one then? And uh, yeah.
1: exactly, yes. Okay. So um, I, I think one is seven minutes, and one is about twelve minutes. The Bombay one they they publish a longer one. The uh, one in New York at the TED HQ was was a tighter one. Uh, I think we had about ten
0: speakers that day, within a span of about an hour or two or something. So uh, yeah,
1: two two different formats.
0: And through your journey, say the TED, because I mean, a, a, you know, a lot of people have done. There's very few, you know, that get to actually do the the TED one. But I mean, that you've done the journey and you were kind of constantly learning. Any tips you would give people that you kind of, as you got to the stage, because you know, you said you wake up at three in the morning and you could recite it like was there anything that when the penny dropped and went oh that that has made a difference that you you know incorporate into future speaking
1: it's it's something which um, now is very very obvious in retrospect because when you're speaking you focus so much on the speaking part that you forget the writing part of it so starting with the writing and and i think after that one of the big things i did was focusing on writing after i you know i just realized comedy is about writing ted is about writing it's about communicating a bunch of ideas in the most economical sense possible in terms of using the minimum number of words. So we're so used to, in conversation, expanding, belaboring, using much more words than we really need to, but in a tight five, as they call it in in in, in comedy, or in a seven-minute time on stage that you have in TED, you, you need to collapse and condense as many of your ideas as possible into that time constraint, So the first thing it teaches you is how to write better. Uh, Like I said, in the comedy sense, it is how do you write to have a joke every 20 seconds? In the TED sense, it is like, how do you communicate as many ideas as possible within it where you've got to strike a delicate balance. You don't want to make it too rich where people are are losing you and not with you. And you don't want to belabor it too much where people are like, okay, he just said that a minute ago. Let me check my phone now. So striking the delicate balance starts off with, with writing. And once you've got that nailed down, which, which um, is voiceless, without intonation, without expression, you know, after that is when the emoting and the expressions and all of that comes. And then the next stage is what we talked about a little while back, where although it's it's a speech, you're not really giving the audience time to react, you are giving them time to react in terms of smiling, nodding their heads or chuckling or laughing in case of stand-up comedy, right? and and you probably noticed if you saw that Ted speech that although it's a talk about obituaries, there are a fair number of jokes so so now it's become where i can't help it i i cannot give a speech without cracking jokes it's it's kind of become part of my my dna and then something i thoroughly enjoy
0: but, and i think people connect with you better when you're doing that because if you make them laugh there's like a bond straight away
1: I, absolutely i couldn't agree more and, and and it's like a Jedi trick right i mean you're talking across to somebody and you're actually making their stomach and their throat vibrate without doing anything, without touching them. It's a, it's a magic trick if you ask me, right? La- laughing is is such a basic emotion that eliciting it is, I think, powerful and and very, very strong in terms of the bonds that it creates. Right? Um, it, it's probably rooted in a primal sense. So you, you cannot be thinking of killing someone or attacking someone when, when you're laughing. So therefore, it's also a sense of a very relaxed state of mind that people are in for me it's just an obsession and a love for comedy but but to paraphrase in answer to your question it's it's the focus on the writing and then the intonation and delivery and finally don't forget to actually enjoy digest and actually swim in those pauses because that's where you're having a conversation with your audience through their laughs through their smiles through their eyes through through their facial expressions through their head expressions which is you know nodding this way if you're here in the west or nodding this way if you're in india but all of that, yes, oh brilliant.
0: So I know with your book that we mentioned at the start, and I've seen some of the things kind of I don't know that they come from this, but I actually hate that question as well. So what do you do <laughs> it's It's hard to answer, right, but its it's a
1: and and ironically, we haven't heard that question, so what do you do? very often in the last couple of years through the pandemic because you didn't have the chance to meet someone accidentally at a bar or a coffee shop or at at, at some other place or at a conference or an event, which is typically where you would ask an absolute stranger this question. And then the person would respond with what it says in their most recent profile uh, update on their LinkedIn page, which might be what they do for 50% of the time that they are awake, but it certainly doesn't define all of us as people. I mean, look at your introduction to this podcast. When you started off, uh, you you have a podcast on mindfulness. You have one on this. You have one on crypto. You have one on the Polish language. Um, we were talking about Ireland a little while back. We're talking about you being in Poland. There's so many dimensions to us that it would be criminal almost to just compartmentalize a person into that one thing they do for for earning their 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 monthly salary. Right. So it's been a pet peeve of mine that you know we need to be defined by a lot more things. So that's why the the book. Name, place Animal Thing is also a childhood game. So I'm a big fan of analogies and metaphors. So the game is an analogy for the entire book. And spoiler alert, the gist of the book is, um, it's, it's like make more things, physical and virtual. Virtual stuff like a podcast, but also physical things with your hands. Uh, get in touch with your inner animal. I'm sure you'll, you'll relate to it in terms of mindfulness and, you know, your body and your breath and and all of those things. Uh, places travel, not just far and wide. Uh, it's enough to travel near and narrow because there's so many things in your backyard that you probably have never seen and should probably start with first since they're very cheap to visit. And finally, name, which is there's more names to us than what we wear for our for our job and, and that side of our identity, right? So the book is written, it's a nonfiction book, but it's written in the style of fiction. So if you're familiar with Monk who sold his Ferrari or Jonathan Livingston Siegel or all those allegory kind of books where there's a story which is almost like the vehicle that carries a whole bunch of ideas so it doesn't become too preachy or too didactic Uh, it it was very cathartic for me to write the book it's been in my head for a very long time and uh, interestingly it came at a very um, very difficult time in life uh, but also um, in almost like regeneration the current company uh, Stream Alive was born from the book writing journey. So uh, I can't thank the book enough.
0: <laughs> and because like, I love marketing and I just, just the cover, because if I'm walking in a shop that would grab my attention, because you've got the four colors big along with the picture. So definitely the, mm-hmm. you, you, you've you nailed it on the head with, with, with the cover. And did you self-publish or have you gone with a publisher?
1: Uh, I, I self-published it, but used a publishing company's facilities to 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 do it just to make life a little easier for me. So it was one publishing company in India and one for, for the rest of the world, I just used Amazon, which was entirely self-published. But for India, I used, um, because there it's a little more resonant since the game is something that people in India are a little more familiar with. So I had a company called Notion Press, which also works with a lot of
0: self-publishers uh, work on it. Okay, excellent. So let's uh, let's move into the the to the stream alive again. That's something I'm very interested in because I do a lot of live streaming. Usually every Tuesday and Thursday, but we've taken a you know a month or two off for the summer. But I've done I don't know fifty more, which a lot of you know Mickey Willis, David Ike, you know a lot of famous people in America, and I thoroughly enjoy it. And I know the exposure you get is fantastic. So. Let's you. You mentioned that it came from the book, so you might tell me the journey of it.
1: Oh, absolutely. So, so um, actually, let me rewind back a bit. I told you I was previously running a company called Unmetric. Uh, Unmetric got acquired in the end of 2019, and then after that, uh, we we had a personal emergency at home with with our older son having a medical emergency in Berlin, having to be airlifted here, and life just got very, very crazy and. We thought that's the craziest thing that can happen. And it was. And then the whole world goes into lockdown with COVID. So just too many things happening at the same time. I just decided I needed a break. So in the middle of 2020, uh, I left the company that I had co-founded about almost 10 years ago. And and Unmetric's journey was from a bedroom in Chennai in India to a boardroom in Copenhagen. We were acquired by a Danish company that was acquired by a US company that was acquired by a private equity firm. So um, that journey complete, I, I just decided to step back and take some time off and focus on on you know um, personal growth and also on the family and stuff. And that was a time when I run out of excuses for writing the book because the ideas in the book have been something I've been jotting down on many flights and things for years. And I sat down and you know wrote most of it through the latter half of 2020. Now, while I had the ideas, I didn't know how to write a book. How do you edit a book? How do you market a book? How do you get Amazon to uh, you know give visibility to your book? So a whole bunch of things that I needed to learn. And uh, latter half of twenty twenty was I, I signed up for a bunch of courses uh, on how to, on exactly those you know how to write a book, how to edit a book. And these were delivered on Facebook Live, on Zoom, on on YouTube Live. Class sizes were as little as ten students to as much as one thousand two hundred students in the case of the Amazon marketing course. So I ended up attending 56 live streams across six different courses that I had signed up for and paid for on how to write, edit, market, and list a book. And across these, so what happened was I, I ended up attending these 56 live streams in a compressed period of about three months, which is beautiful because then you get to see patterns. And I saw a few consistent patterns. First, Uh, The worst speakers were the ones who would only speak in a live stream, say in a Zoom session, and not ask their audience anything. You have have an excuse for doing it when you're talking off stage, but even a good speaker on stage, and and you know this, would ask the audience questions, ask them to raise their hands, ask them to do some things, keep it interactive, right? Uh, There's no excuse for not keeping it interactive in an online session, but the worst ones are the ones who do that. The better ones would ask the audience questions, but they would ignore the answers. So they would ask the audience basic questions like, hey, where are you joining us from? Put it in the chat. And then 200 people would type their their location on the chat very, very enthusiastically. And three of them would be called out and the remaining 197 people would be summarily ignored, like they didn't exist and their answers didn't matter, which is fine because you know, if the if the presenter went through all 200 locations, he would sound like a geography teacher and you would probably take the next 10 minutes sounding like that. And you don't want to do that. But think about it, Roy. It's, it's not normal, right? You wouldn't ask me a question and then ignore my answer altogether. That would be pretty rude. Mm-hmm. But we do that on a live stream scenario because there's no better way. I mean, how can you ask 200 people a question and acknowledge their answer? Right. Or you might ask people like, uh, okay, folks, what is one important quality? I know you teach podcasting, right? So you might say, okay, what is the most important technical thing that you think a podcaster should be aware of? Or or what is one quality that every good podcaster needs to have? Put it in the chat. And then 200 people are saying, you know, voice modulation or this or that. I'm, I'm making stuff up. So please excuse my ignorance on this. But People are answering, but again, you might read out two or three people and then you'll ignore the remaining ones of them. So I noticed this time and again. In certain cases, the presenter might say, hey, here's a link, please go to this link and participate uh, to ans- answer this poll, at this link or something like that. And then two things happen. First is it's a fractured experience because the audience is leaving that live stream. So I'm not looking at their face anymore. I'm going to my Chrome browser I open it and then there's a piece of news, and then there's a picture of a cat and a picture of a dog. And guess what? I've forgotten you altogether. I've moved on to something else, right? Or worse still, you put the link on the Zoom chat, and then people are typing something or the other. And some are some people understood the instructions. Most people didn't understand the instructions. So you say, go to this link and type your answer, and everybody is typing the answer here. And pretty soon the link is buried up there. And someone is saying, What link? I can't see any link. And then everybody is typing the answer here, and it's total chaos. So I saw these repeated again and again, and it was very obvious something is broken, right? Uh, Because the second thing about sending people to a link is like me meeting you at a conference and asking you a question, and you're about to answer me. And I say, no, 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 hang on, Roy. There's a box outside there next to the ladies' bathroom. Can you put your answer over there and come back here and continue the conversation? You're not going to come back and continue the conversation, right? But that's kind of what we're doing in, in, in live streams. We're doing that on Zoom. We're doing that on YouTube Live. We're doing it in webinars. And and, and it's a crying shame because um, we, we felt, and and this is where the connective tissue from our previous experience at Unmetric helped because over there, we used to try and figure out insights from unstructured data. So I thought there could be something interesting that, that we could do over here. And and happy to dive into how we do it and what we do. But that's exactly what we solve at Stream Alive. We make a live stream alive, we allow a presenter like you, who's doing it every Tuesday and Thursday and streaming with an audience to allow the audience to participate, to have a voice and to give a visual face to that voice in real time and make the entire thing, you know, kind of change it from a monologue into a dialogue, right? From a very autocratic process into a very democratic process, from stand-up comedy to improv comedy, to make it one where the audience is actually involved. And, and that's kind of what we do at Stream Alive.
0: Oh, excellent, and like because i've seen some of the stuff and you know, i've uh, looked at what one of the things that i thought was brilliant because you mentioned where do you come from and you've got the map and it's showing the map so then you can zoom in and go oh we've got a lot of people from europe say let's say it's an international thing that's very clever like i thought wow that's a brilliant way of doing it because even if you don't get to call them out the person sees their little dot appearing and they feel kind of heard.
1: You 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 said everything, and thank you so much. One for um, you know, I'm, I'm 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 torn between being worried and being super impressed with with all your research and homework. It looks like you checked out everything that that we do at Streamer Live and all of that. So thank you for that. But that map is something we're especially proud about because that's the classic icebreaker question, right? What's the first thing you and I spoke when we got onto the conversation? I told you where I'm based and where I'm from, and you did the same thing, right? Um, I mean, you're in Poland. You're you're from Ireland. I'm from India. I'm here in the States. It's it's very natural for us as a species to geo-identify ourselves, and it's funny. Even though the presenter doesn't ask, people often start with "Hey, hello from," you know, from New York City. Hello from Miami. Hello from London, and so and so on and so forth. So what we do over there is th- that's an interesting thing. In the beginning, you're not going to have people saying, "I just had a burrito for breakfast." you are going to have people saying a certain thing so there is context to conversations it's not as random as we like to think especially when the presenter asks where are you're joining from people are going to be answering with a location mentioned somewhere so what we've built is the ability you know once you've connected stream alive to your zoom or to your YouTube it's reading the chat in real time so if people are responding with a location it's going to map that out on a world map with, you know, giving a microsecond of acknowledgement to each person, showing their name for a second, saying Roy is joining us from Poland, Lux is joining us from from New Jersey. So I feel included, I feel acknowledged, which is powerful because I'm not ignored anymore. And there's a little dot in the map to represent that I'm there. So here's the interesting thing that happened, and, and you you just mentioned it about being included, right? When I was asked, where are you joining from in all those 56 live streams that I joined, I responded the first three times and didn't respond for the next 53 times because who who cares and gives a damn where I'm from, right? But over here, if I saw the US map, for example, lighting up on the West Coast and looking very naked around New York City, I almost feel obligated to register my presence because it's not going to be ignored. It's going to translate into a little dot saying, Lux is here. He matters. He's here. Right? I, f- I feel like I need to hold the flag for where I am because otherwise it's empty in the map so people respond a lot more it's it's, it's amazing, you ask a question connect stream alive, show a visualization zook, it just jumps
0: up and with that because sometimes there's, there's guys that will name all the different places that are and for me as engaging or learning from somebody like the courses you've signed up it can be boring as well, but with that it's entertaining, and you're kind of curious because you know it's not a case of looking just someone typing Sydney, New Zealand, blah, blah, blah. You're looking at the map, and we're all familiar with the map, and I, 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 think it's a way better way of engaging, which in turn makes me more focused in for the future of whatever the guy is saying.
1: That that's that's exactly the hope. I I couldn't have, I couldn't have put it better. But but here's a funny thing. We thought putting it on a map would reduce the amount of time because, you know, if you had to acknowledge each person and read out their place, unless you're Eminem or a rapper, you can't do it really fast. So the map allows you to do it. But here's a funny thing. You're finding a lot of YouTubers now actually spending time on the map. They're literally flying over countries. They're zooming in saying, oh, we have a lot of people from the Southeast coast of India. We got a lot of people from Singapore. We got people from Australia. Let's look at where they are in Australia. So it's almost become like a conversation between the audience collectively and the speaker. So although the objective was to compress time, it is actually expanding for some speakers who love to spend time on it, fly around the map, zoom in, zoom out, pan and zoom. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And that's the way we, we think of it. We, we think of stream alive as, uh, and the map is just one example. Um, You know, just like you have templates in PowerPoint, which says either put bullet slides, bullet points, or put a picture and a video or put a video. uh, We are creating templates for audience interactions because we believe that the best speakers are the ones who don't just uh, love the sound of their own voice, but give the audience a voice as well. Right. The best speakers are the best listeners. So we're giving a whole bunch of um, templates for speakers to allow their audience to give responses and and to visualize those responses so so you picked on the map and and you might have seen the other ones we have as well so for example
0: when for example you asked a question and it looks like it's interactive as well because most of the ones that i've seen with that is you don't see what's going on you're waiting and you're bored and you're going away and you're looking at your facebook or whatever and then all of a sudden they show you yeah three percent said this but jr1 seems to be moving which means i'm not going to you know (laughs) i'm going to stay focused looking at this
1: I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is the exact objective there saying right now the, the current approach is one where you ask people to go to a third party website, participate, and then you wait for all the responses. And then you say, okay guys, you spend the last two minutes responding. Here's a summary of what you did. Right Now, if you think about it, people can see the responses. I mean, why not show it to them in real time? So people were, if you do a poll, ask people, and you have four options, simply ask people to type one, two, three, or four on the, on the in the chat and in real time, they're going to see the pole bars dance against each other. So we did this one show where we had a beatboxer who could do any genre of music. And she asked the audience, okay, which of these six genres do you want? Number one was rock. Two was, was jazz. Three was hip hop. Four was something else. And it was like a battle between the guys who wanted rock and the guys who wanted jazz. Spoiler alert, rock won finally. Thank God. But uh, it was beautiful, you know, just to see the bars dance against each other It's the same joy you feel see you feel when you when you watch a hundred meter sprint or a horse race or or a Formula One where you're seeing things dance and you're seeing what's going to come out in front, why not make the audience a part of the process? So that's also part of our philosophy of of inclusivity, where instead of letting the audience give your responses, I'll tell you what you said at the end. Give your responses, let everybody see everyone's responses and let's collectively see where we're going to end up, right? So let's co-create this, as opposed to, I'm going to make this and show it to you at the end, like, like uh, uh, again, that's very autocratic in our opinion. You want to make it democratic.
0: Brilliant. And regarding then where you're streaming, because, you know, you mentioned Zoom, so you can do it on the Zoom, which we do, like, all our calls at Well, I mean, it's either the streamer or the Zoom, but... I personally had been using Zoom for years. I'm, you know, very comfortable with Zoom. You know, it's never let me down, basically. Other stuff has left me down. So you can interact with that and then go to, I know YouTube, but what other platforms are you able to, like Facebook, Twitter, are you able to do them once?
1: Uh, Down the line, we should be doing Facebook Live, LinkedIn Live, Twitch, and literally every single major live streaming platform known to man. At this point, we support YouTube Live. You're absolutely right. We support Zoom. Uh, and Zoom, we support Zoom meetings and Zoom webinars. And we also support Microsoft Teams. So the the way we look at it, um, you know, that way, whether you're a preacher, teacher, seller, or an entertainer on YouTube, or if you're an internal company, things where you're using Zoom or Teams and you want to use it for meetings, trainings, town halls, all hands, we kind of address all of those use cases since that approach is one where we don't ask people to go to the product but i brought the product to the people we need to natively integrate with every single platform so that people can interact through the native chat so on the zoom chat if i was running Stream Alive right now you don't need to go to a third party chat you just use a zoom chat that's that's the beauty of the platform the tough part is therefore we need to engineer it separately for each and every platform and it's a different approach for each one. It's an API for YouTube. It's a bot for Zoom. So it's, it's 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 different engineering for each platform that we work, which is why it's not a simple switching on. And at this point, we support these three. But when we speak again in a few months, I'm hoping that that list has more than doubled.
0: Brilliant. brilliant. And just curious if, for example, like in our situation, sometimes there's up to five podcasters, are you able to just, Post to one YouTube or can you actually have multiple accounts that it could go to you know the five YouTube channels
1: at this point it is one YouTube channel per per account but if you want a second one you've got to create a second account and in fact the product is actually absolutely free uh, right now and even when we start charging we will still have a free plan so if you had multiple accounts you just need to sign up for you know uh, multiple email IDs on the, on the platform and use each one with one. Down the line, we might support uh, one-to-many if there's there's a lot of use cases for that. At this point, we're finding more often than not a lot of folks have one primary channel that you're focusing on and they're okay with this. So, so that, that's kind of how it works right now. <laughs> we're focusing a lot of our efforts on expanding that library of interactions, right? So we talked about the polls, we talked about the maps, there's so many things you can do. I'll just give you one or two examples of, if, if that's okay. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. So one is a word cloud. Very, very basic, but imagine asking people that that question we talked about earlier. What's the most important quality you think a podcaster needs to have? And you might have answers as much as patience, listening, empathy, great mic. It might be all over the place, right? So imagine all of those answers as people are typing them, populating into a word cloud, and someone sees empathy and says, yeah, empathy, and he types empathy, and the empathy becomes a little bit bigger. Right, so the words dance against, and each this would be
0: like similar to what you've done on your TED speech, where you've got the word bubble of the words that people were mentioning, and that's what they're kind of seeing. Yeah,
1: it's 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 so funny you mentioned that because I think I've I've had an obsession with word clouds and word bubbles for a very long time. I didn't realize it till you pointed it out that way. But but yes, absolutely. I think it's it's, it's very very similar because visualizing responses of so visualizing words as opposed to looking at them linearly allows you to figure out patterns that you might have missed otherwise right
0: and because c- i've i've even kind of at one stage there was a i don't know what app or some program i was able to do earphones and i used podcaster is this something that is a certain shape or is it something that you Maybe you're able to do now, or if in the future that you can create the shape. So, for example, if it was a podcasting question, it could be either a microphone and earphones. If it was something to do with newspapers, it could be the shape of news, but whatever.
1: Are you sitting on our product meetings by any chance? Or <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, down the line, we 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 hope to have a visual mask to the word clouds. Right now, it's a boring rectangle. But it's still a lot, lot, lot more interesting by orders of magnitude from the current practice, which is nothing. So down the line, absolutely. I think we need to give people the ability to make it their own, which is you know adding your logo, adding something that is symbolic of your industry, like a headphone, like you mentioned, if you're a podcaster or a newspaper, if you're a newspaper or, or, or whatever, and giving it your own visual signature. Um, we're a little far away from that because that would mean changing the libraries from the ones that we currently use but that's a direction we hope to go down because in the technology space the more you allow people to make a product their own to individualize it the more sticky it becomes right mm-hmm. so uh, we, we certainly want to go down that direction for for all those reasons plus it looks more visually appealing if the words come like a headphone instead of coming like like a rectangle right? but at this point we, we're we building a whole bunch of interactions, like um, I'll tell you one of them, which I'm particularly, two of them, which I'm particularly thrilled about. One is called Transient Thoughts, which simply, um, you know, allows people, as different comments come in, word clouds are great for short form text, for one word answers and two word answers. But imagine if you had to ask people for a sentence long answer, that would look pretty weird in a word cloud. But you want to make that like almost like thoughts that are happening in, in space around you. So a bubble comes up with one person's answer, then the next person, then the third one, it's almost like you're sitting in a room and you're seeing people come up with these thought bubbles and it's transient because one person speaks, then the next one. So again, it's it's as simple as giving visual real estate to people's thoughts and contributions, which is so powerful because Absolutely. for the first time you're listening to them and you can also incentivize it. So we have something called jumping jackpot that we're working on next, which Uh, is inspired by the vegas jackpots very obviously but anyone who's commented imagine anyone who's commented has essentially gotten a free ticket to get into the jackpot and all those names of people who've commented in the last 30 minutes has spun around a jackpot and finally it spins and it ends with roy and roy gets maybe a half hour consulting session on making his podcast or he gets some free swag but you're gamifying it you're making it interesting everyone's looking at that jackpot to see where it's going to stop. I mean, as you're telling me
0: that, no, because I'm launching a course with, and I'm thinking if, because I have a recorded webinar, but I mean, I'm thinking, I know that the advantage of doing a live one, but you can basically say 50% off will be for somebody or whatever and straight away, people will be engaging and that, that is excellent. I love that. Yeah,
1: totally. And, 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 and by the way, side note, whenever you're doing that and I know you said you're taking a break from your live stream, but whenever you restart Happy to have a conversation to, I think, if your podcasts are anything to go by, I can imagine how engaging your webinars are and how much more engaging they're going to be with, with Stream Live. So happy to speak about that. I mean, our focus, and you alluded to it, Roy, is, is to help presenters, you know, track, increase, and convert engagement. Right. So there's is the whole analytics module at the end of the product that allows you to look back and say, okay, when were the spikes? Who was the most engaged person? When I asked that question, saying, when I you plan to start your podcast, who are the 10 people who said next month? Because I'm not currently interested in the guy who said next year or don't know when. Right. so people reveal intent a lot in, in in conversations and you make them freewheeling. So how do you mind that intent in interesting ways? How do you track that engagement? How do you figure out what worked and what didn't so that you can make your next live stream even more engaging? I, I, I think all of this flows from some of those speaking experiences because, you know, you, you talked about it. It's funnily enough, right in the beginning where you talked about in stand-up comedy, waiting for the audience to laugh you just realize over more and more speaking engagements that it's not just about what you're speaking, but it's about listening. And I think Stream Alive is uh, now entirely focused on that listening part. And and that's why I'm super excited about it. Mm -hmm. The more we dive this, you know, we show it to people, they come up with ideas. They say, can you build this? Can you do this? Can you do that? Right now we have our roadmap being written by some of our beta users who are giving us phenomenal feedback. Jumping jackpot came out of a conversation like this. Someone said, can you give allow me to give a prize to somebody who's commented right now how to manually put their names in a wheel? Instead, can you automatically pull it? We said, yes, we can. Yeah, really? yeah so so pretty excited about this. Um, nothing exists like it. We filed patents for uh, what we built. We've been very quiet for the last year in terms of uh, fine-tuning things and making sure everything works as it's supposed to. So it's it's been over a year in the making. We've been beta testing with a lot of people and um right now we're ready to show it to the world
0: well i've used two other ones and to be honest with you, i've stopped using them because i didn't think they were serving me well and from what i've looked at your stuff and the fact that you're kind of just getting you know you're just coming out of the. Uh, you mentioned the horse race and you're just coming out of the whatever that you call <laughs> where they're starting the starting race let's say and i'd say it's going to be a hundred times even better in a few years time like so I'm definitely going to get involved and uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to the journey, actually.
1: Thank you. I look forward to it. I would love that.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. So listen, totally enjoyed our conversation. You might let people know how they can get in contact with you.
1: Totally. So I'm, I'm easy to find. My name is Lakshmanan Narayan, but Lakshmanan is pronounced in 18 different ways here in the States. Everyone calls me Lux Narayan. Uh, so laksnarayan.com is the best way because that has links to all my other profiles on LinkedIn and, and other places too. And for Stream Alive, which, uh, like I said, is my newest and most demanding baby, uh, it's streamalive.com. So streamalive.com. So streamalive.com, laxnarayan.com and look forward to staying in touch. Well,
0: excellent. Make sure I put the links both on the audio on the video. I appreciate that.
1: Thank you. thank you right this was fun yeah
0: thoroughly enjoyed it so that's all for the speaking podcast as mentioned you'll find all our episodes on speakingpodcast.com or on youtube sure to give us a thumbs up five star rating and check out Luxus streamer live because i know from my investigation it's going to kick the rest of them to the curb until next week take care